Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Mike West. Mike West is a researcher and entrepreneur in both cannabis and industrial hemp. Since 2006, he has performed legislative advocacy, business development, and cannabis research in Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and other states. Mike studied molecular biochemistry, earning further certificates in renewable energy and sustainable building, and received a degree in international environmental law at CU Boulder. In 2009, he began business consulting while still a student and then partnered with the Milovich Law Firm in Boulder, Colorado to advise cannabis business startups. Since 2010, he has successfully designed and implemented and managed commercial cannabis dispensary operations for investor groups and has helped open some 10 medical marijuana retail centers, over 40 medical cooperative cannabis farms, and three infused process manufacturers. Since moving to Washington State in 2011, he has continued to advise widely in medical cannabis and has recently completed advising on the manufacturing expansion of General Biodiesel, a waste oil to biodiesel processing company in Seattle. Since March, he has been advisor to Senator Positive Nelson of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Michael has recently moved from Washington to Illinois, where he is currently serving as director of manufacturing at Cresco, a cannabis production and processing company that holds three of the state's 21 cannabis licenses. Welcome, Mike West. Hi, Shango. How's your day going? Everything is great. I'm really glad you could be on the show. So everyone is talking about um, hemp-derived CBD right now, and we've seen it sold through legitimate players like Mary's Nutritionals, and we've seen it also sold on Amazon.com, which was surprising, but we've also seen it pushed via email spam. What exactly is CBD uh, derived from hemp? So when you look at the essential oil components that are in hemp and cannabis, there's a couple different primary classes. There's the terpenoids, which are identified as the essentially the smells and the flavors associated with the cannabis strains. Those terpenoids are found in a bunch of different flower species. Cannabis is unique in the fact that the cannabis species has phytocannabinoids. Phytocannabinoids are a class of terpenoids which act as neuroregulators within the body's neurological system. Um, Most notably of the phytocannabinoids is THC. That's the phytocannabinoid responsible for the psychedelic high associated with cannabis. But since THC was discovered in the late 70s by Raphael Meshulam, there's been a lot of research into the other phytocannabinoids identified in cannabis and industrial hemp. More recently, over the past five years, they've actually identified a phytocannabinoid by the name of cannabidiol, CBD for short, which they've identified to play an important neuroregulatory role in the CB2 receptors, which are the neuroregulatory receptors that work in the peripheral nervous system. So whereas THC has a psychoactive role in the brain, CBD actually plays a role of regulating neural firing in the neurons in your peripheral nervous system like your stomach, in your arms, legs, and in your your muscles. 
So, so up, up until now, you know, we've talked on this show a lot about CBD being derived from whole plant cannabis, but, but today we're talking about it coming from industrial hemp. What are the differences between CBD that's coming from whole plant cannabis and the kind of stuff that you're talking about getting from industrial hemp? Yeah, so you know, obviously there's been multiple decades of research done for extraction of essential oils and phytocannabinoids out of cannabis. Uh, cannabis is a wide, widely biodiverse species, but when the International Singles Treaty was written, they actually created a classification that separated industrial hemp from cannabis. They separated the industrial hemp from what we now know as marijuana or medical marijuana or cannabis by creating a distinction of the amount of psychoactivity found within the plant. So on an international treaty level, that's about 1%. A lot of the U.S. states have passed laws saying that if it's below 0.3% THC, um, it would be considered industrial hemp. That's caused a lot of people to start selecting for phenotypes that are non-psychoactive and more recently start selecting for phenotypes that are non-psychoactive and lack the THC, but also contain other potentially medicinal phytocannabinoids like CBD. So, so when, when CBD is being taken from industrial hemp, um, are we still getting a whole plant medicine? Like we think of it, you know, the entourage effect when we're talking about medical marijuana? There is some full, uh, entourage that is associated. It's, that's actually one of the things that I'm sure we'll talk later about. But one of the great things that's lacking in the CBD hemp market uh, when we look at you know, medical marijuana, a lot of patients want to see how much THC is in the me medical marijuana, but they also want to know, okay, what are the terpenes, what are the flavors, because each of those ancillary essential oils plays a very beneficial role, what we call the entourage or ensemble effect, in actually either increasing or decreasing the neural firing. So whereas the phytocannabinoids actually play a role in during doing neural regulation of neurons, the terpenoids and other essential oils actually play a role in either slowing down or speeding up um, or actually triggering neural pathways. When we look at C CBD isolation, um, it's looking at isolating the individual compound of CBD. Now, when, we, when many companies started taking industrial hemp and processing it, they would take the agricultural byproducts of industrial hemp that was being grown for fiber, and they'd take the byproducts, extract the essential oils out of them, and, but only primarily look at isolating the CBD. More recently, there's been numerous companies that have started looking at, okay, let's extract all of the essential oils, make sure that it's below the, the legal limit of THC, but try and contain all of the terpenoids, essential oils, etc., so that we can create that full plant profile, which is going to have a lot of synergistic effects. Well, that's really interesting. I, that's the first time I've heard of that. Usually when I'm hearing about you know, CBD derived from hemp, it's the CBD has been isolated and that's the only thing that is coming out. All the, all the terpenes and any other loose uh, cannabinoids are being left behind. And so people 
are you know have been usually comparing it with um, you know Marinol, where they where they pulled out THC only and didn't use any of the other uh, cannabinoids or terpenes and had terrible you know experience with the pharmaceutical Marinol. But what I think I'm hearing you say is that yeah you know in the past they've only taken out CBD by itself, but they're realizing that the terpenes are part of the overall medicine and starting to take those out as well, which sounds like a win to me. How do the terpenes that are found in industrial hemp compare to the terpenes that are found in what we think of as medical marijuana? So when when you look at going through and creating uh, medical cannabis drugs, whether they be from isolated from industrial hemp or cannabis, um, we have to be able to create as an industry it's, it's multiple different classifications on the nutraceuticals or pharmaceuticals that we create. The reg- international regulation put in place in order to call something a pharmaceutical dug- drug is much more stringent than drugs that are either considered homeopathic medicines or nutraceuticals. So with the case of Marinol and I, I uh, GW Pharma actually has recently released a drug called Epidiolex. Um, Epidiolex is a isolated CBD, old CBD only in a milligram dosed form. Um, a lot of doctors that we talk to, especially traditional doctors that work in pharma, pharmaceutical industry, they have a lot of concerns about the variation in the amount of compounds in the medical cannabis products. So a lot of traditional doctors are going to prefer the milligram dose amounts of CBD. Um, More recently, we've started looking at, okay, well, there's more to cannabis than just the THC. Let's start incorporating some of these terpenoids. Um, So too, we're actually looking at Okay, within the the medical hemp varieties, is there more to the medical hemp varieties than just the CBD? And there there is. If you if you take a high CBD plant that has some lemonine in it versus a high CBD plant with myrcene in it, the essential oils that are going to come out are going to be still high CBD, low THC, but it's going to have uh, different terpenoids which contribute to different flavors as well as different neurological effects from those terpenoids. When we actually start classifying you know, pharmaceuticals, it's going to have to be mil- every constituent component is going to have to be milligram dosed, but nutraceuticals are just going to be ratioed and homeopathic drugs are just going to be isolates. Um, so, so what I'm hearing is that so is, is the advanced folks who have been working with CBD from hemp, um, they're actually realizing that, okay, if, if we are going to hybridize this plant for CBD, we might as well get some of the terpenes in there as well, because we all know that medical marijuana has, you know, the terpenes in that, the, the citrine, the linalool, the myrcene, the, uh, the, the limonene, all this stuff um, has a positive effect on the body as well. And so as they are advancing in uh, deriving CBD from hemp, they're all like, hey, let's go ahead and get more of the spectrum of healthy cannabinoids, just exclude the THC because in a lot of these states, it's the THC aspect, which is uh, prohibited. Am I following you right? Absolutely. So what, what we see in the political scape, you know, obviously, 
you know, I, I have a little bit of family history where some of my family members had epilepsy. You know, in, in, in many fairly conservative political jurisdictions, a lot of politicians are very adverse to, be, to providing can, medical cannabis drugs to adolescents, minors, that, are, that when the drugs have psychoactivity. So what we're seeing is a lot of the a lot of the states in the southeastern portions of the United States are passing CBD uh, laws, which allow for the cultivation of medical marijuana. But the, that medical marijuana has to be a low THC, high CBD variety. That would classify it as a, you know a medical hemp variety. One of the groups that we're consulting in the southeast is looking, you know, doing an application where they're going to be cultivating several acres of CBD hemp, but obviously they want to cultivate more than just one phenotype of Charlotte's, say Charlotte's Web. So being able to go in there and say, okay, here is you know, a bunch of different phenotypes. Some of them are, are higher in lemonine, so those are going to be CBD strains that are better for the morning, whereas this one has high linalool or myrcene, so this may, even though it doesn't have any THC, it's still going to have some sedative effects from those ancillary entourage terpenoids. Well, at that point, the million-dollar question actually then becomes, um, we understand that THC is not, um, allowed in many of these jurisdictions, how effective is CBD? And let's talk more. Let's talk less about. Well, let's talk a little bit about isolated CBD. But but it sounds like the market is uh, is developing medical hemp. So let's talk about CBD plus terpenes. How effective is medical hemp derived CBD when compared to a whole plant extract of medical marijuana? Yeah, so when we, we've done extractions of both medical marijuana, industrial hemp, medical hemp, which is high CBD hemp, um, a lot of it goes down to how it's processed and what it's processed into. If you, if you take a really potent THC medical strain and process it in, unprofessionally, you're going to end up with really dark goop that's not really medicinal products. The same is true with uh, medical hemp. If you take a lot of the agricultural byproducts and extract them, then you're not going to get as high a quality product as pe- as the products are, that are going to be derived from medical hemp varieties that are bred and de- developed and cultivated for the specific use of extraction of the, the phytocannabinoids of CBD and terpenoids. And that gets into, you know, how, how can we, you know, as farmers, we want to be able to maximize the value of our crops. So a lot of the farmers you started by doing, okay, let's just cultivate medic, uh, industrial hemp. And so we, in the international scape, a lot of countries like China, Romania, Lithuania, France, and Spain cultivated the low THC strains of industrial hemp. The International Singles Treaty required that they breed out all the THC from them, so they had to select for different phytocannabinoids. One of the ones that was selected for was CBD. So they started selecting for getting rid of the THC, bringing in the CBD, but those hemp varieties still had terpenoids in them. Um, When the industry developed where they actually started saying, hey, these CBD plants might actually have more value than the the fiber we're harvesting off the hemp plants. Then we started seeing the industry developed into what we call a dual crop or a tri-crop. 
where people would actually cultivate the industrial hemp, harvest the flowers for the seeds and the flowers and the in the, the the flowers, and then extract the the what we call the shaft, which is the brackets around the seeds. Extract the CBD out of the the byproduct flower, use the seeds, and then use the stems. So they actually started developing farming methodologies where they could use not only isolate the CBD from the flowers, but also be able to use the stems and in some cases the seeds as well. So 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 what we've got here in the end product is is, is an you know an isolated CBD in conjunction with uh, selected for terpenes, um, but but no THC. So let's talk about how this is affects the patient. So, so I would think that, um, you know, folks with seizure, folks with epilepsy, um, folks who, whose, um, uh, malady is based on a misfiring of receptors, they may well get some benefit from this type of a product, but it's going to be a little bit more distant for folks who need the THC, like Parkinson's and cancer and things like that. So so this is a, a medical hemp-derived CBD, but it's not really a solution for everybody. Am I following you? Absolutely, absolutely. Because when you look at the way that everybody's neurobiochemistry is set up, everybody has a slightly different neurobiochemistry. Um, we've even seen a lot of cases where you, CBD was originally thought of as the wonder drug for epilepsy. What we've actually identified is that you know, CBD works phenomenally in about 20 or 30 percent of ep- epilepsy cases. That's a small percentage of epilepsy. What we're, we're seeing a larger percentage of success in is combination of CBD and THC drugs because what we found is that CBD helps reduce the occurrence of the epileptic episodes, but the THC actually helps to stop the onset or decrease the onset of, of the epilepsy. Um, in other cases where you have... Uh, muscle inflammation and other muscle soreness, a lot of times that comes from hyperactivity in the neurons. So being able to have the CBD play a neuroregulatory role down-regulating the phytocannabinoids receptors actually can allow for um, not so much the reduction in pain, but the decrease in the potentiation of the pain. Um, and that's been backed by several different international research studies. Obviously, we would love to be able to do the research into creating nutraceuticals and potentially pharmaceutical drugs out of CBD hemp. But the, unfortunately, the U.S. federal government classifies hemp and CBD in, under the Analog Drug Act as a Schedule One substance, just like THC is. Um, the way that we've gotten around that is obviously by working with states, with jurisdictions, with government officials to draft laws that allow for us to be able to do this uh, heavily regulated research in a corporate setting in states that pass the regulation that follow the federal guidelines, that what we call the eight principles of the Cole and uh, Ogden memorandums. 
So it sounds like we've got we've got a, a three step process. Uh, first of all, we know that at the federal level, it's Schedule One, and so technically, none of this stuff that we're doing is legal at the federal level. And then, and then the second step is that some states are allowing um, CBD only legislation to pass, which then allows this these these medical versions of hemp to be processed into uh, CBD plus terpenes that gives some relief to patients. And then, and then finally, in states that are, are more far along towards normalization and they can use a full medical marijuana plant, we're getting full-on entourage effect that's giving um, folks all of the possible relief that can come from the plant. Well, this is making a lot of sense. Uh, Mike, we need to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. Entrepreneurs across the country are establishing businesses in response to cannabis normalization. Once a state becomes legal for cannabis, they all go through similar growing pains. New business owners must develop a business plan, a brand, learn growing and processing techniques, and develop products from those new skills and get them to market. Most challenging, they must learn how to work creatively within the narrow bands of legality set by their state regulators. Each step in this process is filled with hidden delays at burn resources. The most common challenging belief I have seen from my own clients and other players in Washington, Colorado, and Oregon is that they think they can do it all themselves, or worse, that they have to do it all by themselves. This is simply untrue, and in most cases will cost you a great deal of time, money, and frustration. We have reached the point now that there are exceptionally good cannabis consultants who have learned from their mistakes, risen to the top of their own markets, and now offer this advice to new cannabis entrepreneurs in states that are just moving into production now. One of these is Green Lion. Green Lion was an early player in the Washington medical market. They grew up during times of confusing gray market regulations, balancing between honoring the Coal 2 memo and state cannabis laws while continually striving to push the market forward with groundbreaking growing processing and products. Green Lion was in the first round of licenses awarded by Washington State, and they began the difficult challenge of running tandem medical and state-licensed recreational operations while being a shining example of creating revenue and staying within the fine details of state law. Their extraction lab uses a variety of methods and has a reputation for producing exceptional oils and an employee training program taught by folks who are now industry leaders. Green Lion can help you attain your own cannabis sales goals. Their multifaceted team has the expertise you need, whether it be growing, extraction, product development, branding, or support working through your state's licensing process. Green Lion is also now acquiring established medical and recreational marijuana product lines to bring into the Green Lion family. If you have an established product and want to participate in the licensed cannabis market, Green Lion could be the place for you. They will fold your manufacturing team into their production and get your proven products into the hands of cannabis enthusiasts everywhere. Finally, do you enjoy fine cannabis oil? Greenline presently provides recreational and medical products made with their premium oils throughout Washington State. Ask for Green Lion Dab Oil, CO2 Oil and Keef Infused Pre-Rolls, Vape Cartridges, and Full Plant Extract Topicals at your favorite retail location. Get your pen ready because here comes the contact information. If you want to achieve a positive cash flow in a shorter time, reach out to Green Lion. If you have a marijuana business that needs to find a licensed home to manufacturer, reach out to Green Lion. 
drop a line to contact at greenlionindustries.com and let them know how you want to work together. And tell them Godpreneur sent you too. That email address is contact at greenlionindustries.com. And now, back to the Godpreneur.com podcast. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Mike West, Director of Biotechnology at Greenline Farms. So, Mike, before the break, we had a very detailed discussion about uh, the different kinds of, of, of hemp-derived CBD and it's both, both its advantages and shortcomings. Well, a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are not necessarily going to be patients themselves. They are entrepreneurs who are interested in bringing this relief to the patients. Let's talk a little bit about producing the, the, the medical hemp itself. You know, um, our, our, our country has got lots of different growing areas. Are there particular parts of the country that are going to end up being more effectively growing medical hemp than others? Absolutely. So obviously cannabis and hemp are a weed. It's been cultivated on, from what I can tell, seven, all seven continents, Antarctica, only, only by humans. But you know, we have found feral hemp that was planted in the 30s is still to this day being eradicated by the DEA. So there's a hemp cultivars cultivating, growing wild across the U.S. The big push is going to be, we're going to see a lot of kind of the conservative states down in the southeast are going to pass hemp legislation before uh, medical regulation, whereas some of the west coast states are going to pass medical regulation and potentially recreational regulation before the industrial hemp regulation. What we're going to end up seeing is that the market is eventually going to develop where we have different bioregions that are producing different types of cultivars. Um, for a great example is going to be uh, Canada has developed a lot of early finishing seed cultivars, whereas countries like Spain and France have primarily developed fiber cultivars. It's a combination of where the industry was invested to as, as well as uh, transportation and commercial aspects. You know, It's a lot cheaper to transport ships uh, rope from hemp fields in Spain to the ports in ports in Spain or France than it would be for Canadian hemp farmers to export their fiber uh, potentially across the world. So a lot of times we'll end up start creating geo uh, bio biodiverse geolocations where one cultivar is going to be developed in one bioregion, other cultivars are developed in other regions. You know, what my best suggestion for farmers that are looking at cultivating industrial hemp is you, when you look at cultivating medical cannabis, you're looking for high value, high, highly rich soil, something that grows in a riparian zone along river bottoms, etc. Industrial hemp grows phenomenally along river bottoms, but when we look at cultivation of industrial hemp, we generally look for bioregions that are similar to where we see uh, flax and wheat being cultivated. It's a slightly drier climate that has less regu regular annual rainfall, and that allows for us to cultivate different hemp cultivars um, and potentially cultivate uh, fiber as well as the CBD and the seeds. 
I would think that um, all these different cultivars, um, not only they, you know, they might be longer or shorter flowering, but they'll also end up in a final product that's got a different mix of terpene profiles. And so, uh, you know, uh, medical hemp derived in different parts of the country with longer or shorter summers uh, and different, um, you know, uh, nutrition in the ground would probably derive entirely different types of medicine. Absolutely. And then what we're actually seeing is it's a combination of environmental factors. So, you know, the, the amount of nutrients that are in the soil are going to change the amount of phytocannabinoids and terpenes produced. The amount of sunlight. We're seeing, you know, blue further south you're gonna have bluer spectrums, whereas further north you're gonna have redder spectrums. Um, and then the the combination of being able to breed in different traits from medical cannabis and medical hemp varieties allows for us to be able to start selecting for a very rich and very biodiverse um, medical hemp cultivars. Now, a lot of our breeding has to do, okay, we have to go through hundreds of seeds in order to isolate those really unique phenotypes that has that perfect ratios, but that's a lot of the research that we do within the the state's uh, registered laws. As, as the industry gets developed, and what we've actually seen develop in Canada is a pedigreed seed system, whereas farmers who are in Canada can, can actually locate pedigree-tested seed cultivars, and those pedigree-tested seed cultivars have been cultivated for, I believe, six generations, isolated, backcrossed, and stabilized so that when farmers in Canada purchase those pedigreed seeds, they know that those seeds are going to uh, be tested, not test high. Um, there's a couple cases where some of the farmers that are getting started in Colorado and other states have planted seed varieties that in their country of origin, place of origin, they tested below the international and national drug treaties of 3%, but by moving them from one bioregion to another bioregion and cultivating cultivating them in different environments, we've seen slight variations in the THC concentration, which could potentially be very, very costly for the hemp farmers. Wow, that that's actually really interesting. You take the same seed and you're growing it somewhere different, and you're getting these different effects. It's kind of like uh, when when we are in uh, having winter wherever we are, and then we go to Hawaii. Suddenly, we feel like we're thriving more too. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know we see that with many different cultivars. You know the the apples that we that are grown in Washington State are going to look different than the apples grown in California, and in many cases we're gonna we'll be able to develop different uh, different cultivar, cultivars that biolocate and evolve as we select for them as we hybridize them to be able to create unique cultivars that are that are locally adapted to different bioregions. So so let's talk acreage for a moment. So so when when talking medical marijuana versus medical hemp medical marijuana has got um, a you know, far greater density of all of the healing attributes that we want as part of uh, the entourage effect. It's got um, you know, more THC, more CBD, more terpenes. And so uh, you can grow this indoors um, under lights in a warehouse. And, and if you 
plan your business right, you can you can make some good revenue. But but hemp, because the density is so much less, um, except for a little bit of R and D, if even that, it's not a product that's probably going to be grown in a warehouse. And so we're talking about fields and fields of this, um, that so that it can be processed in mass to get the constituents we want. How many acres are we talking about? Um, you know, here in these early days, do you think is a is a minimum number of acres to make it worth the while as far as as profit and, and and creating revenue out of this goes? You know, I, what I like to tell the farmers is that every acre of hemp that you plant, you could potentially make two to three times as much as if as if you were to plant wheat. Um, looking at it from a commercial the commercial standpoint, it, if we're going to spend the millions of dollars in order to build a hemp processing plant, we want to be able to run that hemp processing plant at least 300 days a year, preferably 350 days a year, 24-7. Um, when you start looking at that, especially on the fiber side, that requires you know, not only hectares but thousands of hectares. Um, some of the medical groups that we're working with in Florida are looking at doing you know, up to 25 acres of medical hemp, but that's for a limited use in the medical program. Other, other groups, you know, notably one in Colorado, are you know, rapidly trying to scale up in the hundreds of hectares. And we've even heard of groups in Oregon that are and, uh, abroad that are looking at doing the thousands of hectares. The idea goes is that as we get you know, these identified cultivars, we can actually scale up the acreage and you know, using that scaled up acreage, cultivating a select number of cultivars. We, don't, we never want to just grow a monoculture. We want to grow three to five to maybe ten different cultivars of industrial hemp. And using those industrial hemp cultivars, we can actually start selecting for different traits in them. Um, and you, what we're going to see is that the medical hemp is going to very much be able to fuel the growth in the industrial hemp sector because medical hemp, when you look at the derivatives, that the essential oils that can be extracted out of medical hemp, it's far and away greater value than, say, just cultivating wheat. But we, in order to use more than just the extracted oils, we need, you know, many thousands of acres to be able to justify the millions of dollars of investment required to build out these large-scale industrial hemp processing plants like we're seeing in, in Europe and in Asia. Well, the idea of hectares of, of, of medical hemp probably has our medical marijuana growers like all giving up red flags. So, so we might as well talk about the obvious question. A lot of people are concerned that having uh, industrial medical hemp growing um, in the same areas as medical marijuana is going to ca- cause a cross-pollination and ruin both crops. Uh, I've heard everything from, oh, the crops need to be at least three miles apart to being 10 miles apart and and, and even more. So what does the science say behind this if we set all the fear-mongering aside? So the, the science has been studied actually a lot both in Canada as well as in uh, Spain. So what there's a big, great example where they in Spain they actually give a pollen report for the amount of pollen that's being blown from Morocco into Spain. Now that, that oftentimes scares farmers because they think, oh, there's you know, hundreds of miles between these two countries and it's be, being able to cross-pollinate. What we're actually seeing is that 
UV irradiation from the sun. You, as the pollen gets released by the male plants, the sun is constantly producing UV irradiation, and that UV irradiation can actually sterilize the hemp pollen. So several countries have actually started developing regulation in order to be able to create the, the pedigreed seeds that I mentioned earlier. Canada actually created a law that said that if, if you're going to be a pedigreed seed breeder, your farm has to be located a minimum of three miles away from other farms. Um, that kind of that three miles was what the Canadian government settled on as far enough away to be able to minimize the risk of 95 or 98 percent of risk chance of cross pollination. When they started actually studying it, and there's a couple studies out of Europe, they actually were able to find that the UV irradiation of hemp can happen as short of a distance as a thousand feet. Generally speaking, I would suggest putting somewhere between half a mile and a mile buffer between any sort of hemp and cannabis farm. But realistically, when we, when we talk to groups that are looking at cultivating industrial hemp versus looking at cultivating medical marijuana, the areas that we cultivate medical marijuana are going to be higher value um, agricultural areas than the areas that we want to cultivate industrial hemp. We want to cultivate industrial hemp um, in areas that are you know, dry, dry land deserts, oftentimes you know, places that are not used for uh, agricultural production of vegetables, whereas medical marijuana, we want as rich of a soil as possible so that we can grow as rich of a terpene content as possible. Well, well, that's convenient. The fact that uh, you know the growing space that we want for for each of the two products are are different, um, and and you know I, I guess I guess uh, the the moral of this story is to to set up your sprawling acreage, um, you know, away from the other crop and 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 small places like where I live on Vashon Island, where people want to grow both medical marijuana and um, industrial hemp outdoors on our small 14 by, you know, six mile island, this is probably not going to be the place for it. And we as a community are going to have to figure out which one we want. Well, um, Mike, before we before we wrap up here, let's talk a little bit about um, these 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 hemp fields. Um, being used for medical um, CBD uh, derived from hemp, you know, eventually the federal government will reschedule or unschedule completely cannabis, and 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 it will be able to be grown and uh, from medical marijuana and provided to patients, leaving these hectares of of hemp, medical hemp. Um, needing a different product to be pulled out of them. Uh, why don't we finish with you talking a little bit about these hemp fields, the great things that they'll be able to do after this kind of bridge time that they're helping produce CBD for prohibition uh, <laughs> locations. Absolutely. And I actually can have an interesting perspective on it because I, I believe that there will be low THC cultivars of industrial hemp cultivated for quite a long time, even after prohibition. When you look at you know, the near beers, not a whole lot of people drink O'Doul's, but there is a market segment for people that want to drink beer that's low alcohol content. 
when working in the recreational markets that we are, we're seeing a lot of people that traditionally were against smoking of marijuana, but now that it's recreational, anybody 21 and over can purchase it. We're getting a lot of requests at the recreational stores that are, you know, traditional baby boomers that never wanted to get psychoactively high, but have learned quite a bit about CBD. So they want to see if they could potentially use CBD as a health supplement. So using it as you know, a potential cosmetic, using it as a body rub, a massage oil, as not so much a nutraceutical or a pharmaceutical, but as a supplement to everybody's healthy well-being. We all know that hemp is high in omega-3s. It actually has the most bio-rich array of different amino acids. It's phenomenal health food. And what we're going to see is that a lot of people are going to start wanting to cultivate hemp and cannabis as a health food. We're going to see people that are going to try and create health products, not only nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, but over-the-counter drugs that are available at gas stations. Now, if you're going to be consuming something that's going to cause psychoactivity, it has to be well-regulated. It has to. Be, we have to make sure that it doesn't fall into the case of into the hands of minors. But we do already do that fairly well with tobacco and alcohol. Hemp-derived CBD that could be put put into a muscle rub or massage oil that's not going to cause psychoactivity is contains a lot less risk in regards to psychoactivity and that's going to have a much broader much faster growth on a national level you know we've already talked to a couple different gas station chains that as soon as the federal law changes they would love to be able to have uh, industrial hemp medical hemp in their gas stations because we don't want truckers taking pain pills when they can just take a muscle rub. We don't want truckers, you know, taking potential psychoactive and potentially deadly pharmaceutical drugs while they're driving down the road when they can consume something that's not going to overdose, not going to cause psychoactivity, etc. So what we're going to see is that a lot of the industry is going to develop into a broad portfolio of different products, just like we see with the alcohol industry. We have wines, we have champagnes, we have liqueurs, which are concentrated forms, and we have different beers. The vast majority of people aren't going to go for the super high potency stuff. They're going to go for your middle of the road, either vape pens or topicals or edibles or smokes that have some psychoactivity or no psychoactivity. And but have a great flavor and some potential medical benefit. We can't make medical claims, but we always want to develop products that are not only healthy but good for you. Well, that that that's really insightful, Mike. Well, you know that's all the time we've got for today. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. You know, we we've heard so many places. You know, a real just topical, uh, cursory handling of this. But it was really nice to be able to go in depth with you like this. Thanks for visit, visiting the show, Mike. Absolutely, Shango, and have a wonderful fall harvest yourself. Mike West is director of manufacturing at Cresco. You can email Mike at Mike W at crescolabs.com c-r-e-s-c-o-l-a-b-s dot com you can find more episodes of the Gonchpreneur podcast in the podcast section of Gonchpreneur.com. you can also find us on the Cannabis Radio Network website and in the Apple iTunes store 
On the Gajpreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcriptions of this podcast. To get your cannabis news and podcasts on the go, you can also download the Gajpreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. We're also thrilled to announce that you can now find the show on the iHeartRadio Network app, bringing Gajpreneur to 60 million mobile devices. I'm your host, Shango Lose. 